You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. We're talking episode two. I'm Nathan Halverson, your humble and obedient host. This is Pastor Jacob Menzel. Hey, how you doing? Hey, Jake, you ready to talk about the best Star Wars movie? Of all time. Of all time. Second only to The Last Jedi. Second only to The... You got Your Last Jedi, and then you got your episode two. We are being sarcastic. We're starting out with a little humorous irony, because this movie is not very good. And... I think the internet and the fanboys and everybody has pretty thoroughly picked the bones clean, a little bit like Phantom Menace. This this is, would, would, would we agree that this is the most widely hated Star Wars movie, probably? The second, everybody Maybe hates, second only to The Last Jedi. Second only to The Last <laughs> Jedi, yes. <sighs> well, Jake, do you hate this movie like everybody hates this movie? Um, It's a pretty bad movie. It's really bad. Yeah. It's not good. We, I think we mounted something of a noble defense. Just like of Phantom Menace. Just like the Jedi mounting a defense against the Geonosans <laughs> and the Coliseum of Death or whatever that was. We yeah. did our level best. Well, I'll tell you what. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to not do this when I keep doing it. Right. I don't recommend that you sit down and watch The Clone Wars. Right. The cartoon show. You have now not recommended that many, I, many times. I not recommend that all the time. Right. But if you do, what happens? But if you had done that, and if you do do that, at the very least... It's kind of fun going back and watching Attack of the Clones and realizing, I mean, th- this is what happened for me. I haven't watched Attack of the Clones probably since it came out. Like uh, rewatching this was almost like watching it again for the first time. I just I remembered how bad it was. I remembered the sand scene and stuff mm-hmm. like that and the terrible angsty romance crap and all that stuff. Right. But what was kind of fun was having watched the Clone Wars, going back and realizing, oh. A whole bunch of characters that I love are actually in this movie. They're standing in the background, and and they don't look as cool as they do in the cartoons, but, oh, these places, I know these places. Right. (sighs) Well, let's talk about this movie. Did you see this one in the theaters? I have no idea. I wasn't that big of a fan. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I might have seen it in theaters. I might not have. If I did, it definitely wasn't an event. It would have been... Like I think I said on Phantom Menace, something that I might have done as maybe a kind of guilty pleasure, Mm -hmm. you know, on a matinee, like during the summer. I remember seeing this movie. I remember this being the first movie where I was aware of the fact that the audience wasn't with, because everybody, like I said last time when we talked about Phantom Menace, I remember people kind of liking Phantom Menace, and I don't remember all the hatred and all the George George Lucas ruined my childhood, all that kind of nerd rage. All the entitled bratty nerds who think that they own something just because they like it and are mad that it doesn't go the way that they mm-hmm. want it to. That stuff hadn't really happened. Or, or it, I suppose all the big, you know, famous movie forums like Annette Cool and stuff like that would have been around at that time. But, but, but I think it was getting bigger by the time Attack of the Clones. So, so we as a culture kind of realized we don't like Star Wars. We don't like these prequels. These are silly. By the time this movie came out, this was the one that kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. The way I remember it is sitting in a theater. And people groaning mm-hmm. at all the terrible dialogue, which they hadn't done. Phantom Menace, we were all, it's Star Wars, yay! But yeah. I remember I remember the audience being very bored and not going with the movie. You know how you can, well, you know, because you're a preacher. You know how you can tell when a crowd of people, they're not doing anything <laughs> in particular, but you can just tell when they're not into something. I mean, maybe you don't know, Jake. You would never no, know I've, that. No, I've never lost, I've never lost the congregation before. Right. Yeah. So you have no idea what it's no, like. No, no idea. No just, experience just of that whatsoever. It's this, just complete mystery to me. The yeah. restlessness, the just that palpable feeling of people not being with a, a crowd of people all being together and not being happy with something, not being with something. Yep. You felt that. And I was with a, a couple friends and they started making out a guy and a girl. This was uh, I remember we as a group of friends were much more interested in the love life a situation that happened with this couple than we were with the movie. You know, that was like the big takeaway was that uh, we'll call them George and Phyllis because uh, I went to high school in 1949. <laughs> um, <laughs> the big takeaway from Star Wars Attack of the Clones were that George and Phyllis were going to be... Now a couple and they were making out. And they were snogging. Yes, as uh, Miss Rawling says. But let's talk about this movie. So the first thing I noticed about this movie is that it's really actually pretty hard to follow. Like It's all over the map, right? There is unrest. So this is from the thing. There's unrest in the Galactic Senate. Several thousand solar systems have declared their intentions to leave the Republic. I actually looked up the old one, which says, from A New Hope, 
It is a period of civil war. Rebel spaceships striking from hidden base have won their first victory against the evil Galactic Empire. There, in one sentence, you know who the good guys are, you know who the bad guys are, you know where our sympathies lie, you know all kinds of stuff. There's unrest in the Galactic Senate. Well, that could mean any number of things. Do I like the Galactic Senate? Am I happy that there's unrest? Am I with the suffragists? Or not suffragists. Am I with the... Am am I anti-Senate? Am I pro-Senate? I don't really like the Senate, the real Senate in America. I'm not a big fan of, generally speaking. You know, everybody thinks that politics is bad, but am I supposed to like this? Several thousand solar systems have declared their intention to leave the Republic. The separatist movement under the leadership of the mysterious Count Dooku. Mm-hmm. So we know he's mysterious, and we know there's a separatist movement. Again, we don't know. Actually, if we, if anything, we're programmed from Star Wars to kind of think of rebels and separatists and people like this as... Maybe the good guys. Maybe the good guys, yeah. But they've made it difficult for the limited number of Jedi Knights to maintain peace and order in the galaxy. Does that mean that the separatists are the bad guys and are fighting the Jedi? Does that mean that it's just when there's this much civil unrest, it's hard to keep order no matter who's good or who's bad? could mean any number of things. Senator Amidala, the Queen of Naboo, is returning to the Galactic Senate to vote on the critical issue, creating an army of the Republic to assist the overwhelmed Jedi. I guess the Separatists are the bad guys, and the army of the Republic would be the good guys, and I like Jedi, like, they're good guys, but... Well, but see, that's part of maybe the whole problem with the movies, or but, I don't know. I mean, part of the whole plot is that it's not, it's actually pretty muddled. Right. It's actually not clear cut. Who who are the good guys? Who are the bad guys? It turns out that Palpatine's the puppet master behind both of these groups. Right. Well, I think then a little bit of advice that's always stuck with me, charming a little bit of advice from Elements of Style. I don't know. Uh, E.B. White's just talking about clarity. And he says, this doesn't mean that you can't be complex. It doesn't mean that your audience may not even understand what it is you're writing about but they should know that that's the effect that you're striving for and then he says something like be opaque clearly yeah and George George Lucas is never opaque clearly in this movie you don't know what you're supposed to assume Mm -hmm. and what you're not supposed to assume if someone simply said I mean there's more elegant ways of doing this but if someone simply said the senate is muddled and I wish we could believe in them I suppose they do say these things but you get so many conflicting pieces of information and the Jedi are all over the map in terms of supporting the Senate, being wary of the Senate, being wary of Palpatine, listening to Palpatine. You never really nail down who and where and how your loyalties are supposed to lie yeah. as an audience member. And it's really weird. I assume George Lucas, I don't know, do you think he was actually going for muddle um, and just was opaque, opaquely instead of opaque clearly? <laughs> or, or did he have clear sympathies? I can't talk about this stuff without bringing my knowledge of Clone Wars right. to bear, which Lucas did produce or executive produce. And what they do, what they do in that over the course of six seasons of Clone Wars, I think they say, if they don't say it in the, this title crawl, they definitely say in a Revenge of the Sith title crawl that there are heroes on both sides. Right. They play with that a lot in Clone Wars. We see separatists who have good reason to be trying to become independent of the Galactic Republic. None of which we see in Attack of the Clones. None of that we see in Attack of the Clones. None of that we see really played out in Revenge of the Sith. Right. But throughout Clone Wars, we do see that. We see heroes on both sides. We see sympathies on both sides. We see Amidala actually get really close to flipping sides, which becomes, it's an undertone when you get to Revenge of the Sith, actually in a weird way. And so whether or not Lucas intended it, they definitely play up the muddledness of it all right? in their canon cartoon series. Which is, if you had this movie as the template, even if Lucas didn't intend it, you'd probably want to lean into it because he's the only way to make sense of... Yeah, that's right. I think that just having watched that series changes the way that you read Attack of the Clones and the way that you read right. really changes the read on Return of the Sith right. dramatically Revenge for the, the good. Revenge of the Sith, right. yeah, dramatically for the good. But yeah, it, it's, you know, that's what they're playing with. Right. It always felt just stupid and confusing and lost to me when I first saw it. And for a kid's movie, that's, that's bad. That's bad, yeah. You kind of yeah. need to know who the bad guys are. Even yeah. Count Dooku, like, you know he's a bad guy. And the reason you know it is because, A, he's played by Christopher Lee. B, who else is going to be the bad guy? C, John Williams, the very first scene where they're just talking about him. 
somebody says something like, Count Dooku is a very mysterious man that mm, who knows where his he's, loyalties lie. He's a former Jedi. But the music is going, bum, 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 bum. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, okay. <laughs> Thanks for doing the work, <laughs> Williams. That <laughs> I don't know. It was funny. But um, it's just confusing. I actually think this will be my theme for the whole movie because there's any number of things that could work as complicated but it doesn't feel like the movie is telling you that they should be complicated. Well, yeah. I mean, even Clone Wars show, mm-hmm. it's a kid's show. Right. And so for our purposes, because it's all basically from the perspective of Anakin, the Separatists are bad. Right. The clone troopers and the Republic, good. And it's pretty simple. And when it do- delves into the complexity of things, it, it's only there for, you know, very briefly for just enough to make it to challenge a kid right? to think more deeply about this not maybe being as black and white as it looks. Right. But then it pulls back and you're still, you know, it's your team Anakin. And by the end of that, which I know I'm always rushing to get ahead of us here, but by the end of that series, the Jedi Council looks pretty bad. Anakin's turn in Revenge of the Sith makes a whole lot more sense. Right. Which is a great story. I love that story. I just yeah. think, I just wish it's the story that it was clear Lucas wanted to tell. If he had simply, for example, there's there's so many different ways you could do it where it would be clear. One way is if you want it to just be in very stark relief for kids so that it makes sense, you have the Jedi look really, really good and awesome and seem really noble at the beginning. Yeah. And then a very specific action or event happens that calls that into question. And that's like the entire, you know, the whole series, the whole story hinges on yeah. that. Yeah, that's one way to do it. You know, another way to do it is to just have them present as morally complicated, as forcing Anakin into positions that. And I suppose you could say that that's there, but it's just it's there a little bit in Revenge of the Sith, but it's not really felt. Right. You never know if it's. You always kind of suspect if that what they Lucas... always set up is yeah yeah yeah. What they always set up is that the Jedi are great, the Jedi are awesome, the Jedi are cool, and therefore, and then the Jedi ask. Anakin to do something and Anakin feels conflicted about it but you as an audience member don't because the Jedi are awesome and why does Anakin feel so conflicted about this they never actually take you to the place in the movie framework itself of identifying with Anakin and agreeing with Anakin's perspective right being sympathetic to Anakin's perspective they never actually achieve that or being or is telling you we need to be completely unsympathetic to Anakin's perspective no. He's the, off base here. We as an audience know what some things that, and accept some things that he refuses to. That's There's different ways you could do it. But, but yeah, it's just a muddled mess. Well, that brings us to the next thing that's opaque, opaquely instead of opaque clearly, which is the entire character of Anakin. Watching yeah. this movie, you really don't know who Lucas thought he was. It occurred to me so many of the things that people make fun of, you know, the terrible dialogue. If yeah. you just shifted your understanding of who Anakin was, it would actually all make sense. If, if if the story we're telling is of this weird genius engineer guy. Who's autistic. Yeah, who's autistic, who was ripped away from his family, who is great at the world only makes sense to him when he's fixing things. Yeah. And he has no he was a slave who was taken in by this Jedi Order, taken in too late. He doesn't have any interpersonal skills. You could actually play the moment, I think, pretty well. His first really terrible line. You've grown as well. More beautiful, I mean, for a senator. That line sucks because we're thinking Anakin's kind of supposed to be a romantic hero here, and that's a yeah. really dumb, awkward thing. But this it's, is, it's all set up to play like Romeo and Juliet, like this tragic star-crossed love story epic thing that's at the heart of the galaxy with these two of the most epic ca- characters in the galaxy. That's right. the way it's all and set up. the music up. and the background. Everything and plays everything. to that. And then you get these lines of dialogue and these performances that are like, nope. Who are these people? Yeah. If, if, if Padme had simply gone, Ugh, when he did that, and we were suddenly in her point of view and we understood this guy's a creeper, this guy's weird, this guy's not the romantic lead of the movie, he's the secondary guy. He's the guy that threatens the romantic lead mm-hmm. by being smoldering and handsome and emo and petulant and dark. You know, he's Judd from Oklahoma. He's like the dark sexual predator character that everybody else that's going to pine after her and you could actually that there's an interesting anakin story you could tell if you're just writing the story of anakin from scratch he's not her lover he's just the guy that dreamed locked onto her he's just the awkward weirdo that locked onto her and decided that he was going to dream about her every day she's not into it 
Yeah. And he always wishes that she would be. Now, that doesn't really jive with Alec Guinness, Obi-Wan, saying he was a good friend and all that. But it's one way to tell that story. Yeah. Uh, not saying it's the right one. I'm just throwing out ideas for how you could. <laughs> well, this is why I was talking in our last episode about why I have a lot of sympathy for the actors. Because you Hayden Christensen's 19, 20 years old right. playing this role. Mm-hmm. He's got these really simple, terrible lines of dialogue. And it feels like the only direction that he's given is Anakin's fatal flaw is he cannot control his emotions. Right. And so whatever you do- Don't control your emotions. Don't get, let your emotions run wild. Play up the emotion. Be more emotional, more emotional, more emotional. Everything with Anakin is he's over-emotional. That's the problem. All, all the Jedi guys are going to be concerned about how emotional Anakin is and how clouded he is by his- He's a man of passion at the end of the day. Right. They couldn't- turn him into a Buddhist like the rest of them. And so, you know, that's the contrast. Obi-Wan is Zen. Anakin is super emotional. Right. And so, I mean, and if you put yourself in the mindset of a 19, 20-year-old person. Just trying to do it as director. Young. Yeah. Who's handsome and who's just trying to, and who's new and in this massive blockbuster, highly pressured role and in the hands of, who at the time is regarded as one of the greatest directors of all time, right. and certainly the most one of the most successful. Like you just do what he says. What else are you going to do? Right. And Lucas just didn't have his back with the writing. Or there's even there's one line, one really awkward line in there. People can find it. It's during the the speeder chase through the city. He drops down, and Obi Wan says something. You know, what took you so long? And he says, "Oh, you know, Master, uh, I couldn't find a speeder that I really like." And it sounds for all the world to me like the actor simply stumbled over the line. He says, you know, it should be, oh, you know, Master, I couldn't find a speeder. But he it, he fumbles a word and has trouble getting it off. And it's like any director with assault would use the take with the snappy, sarcastic banter that sounded snappy and sarcastic, not the one that where yeah. the actor accidentally had trouble getting out his snappy line. You know, you can't have the entire purpose of a snappy line is that it's snappy, right? <laughs> Yep. So it just feels like George Lucas just didn't care or didn't know what he was doing or just doesn't, isn't sensitive to actors or something. I don't know what. But I just kept thinking, be opaque clearly. Who is this guy? What is their romance? There's actually a romance has to, something has to be the fuel that fires a romance, even a dumb, immature teenage Romeo and Juliet style thing that we'd all kind of feel superior to. There has to be something. Do they both feel like they're outsiders? Are they both physically attractive? Okay, here's a silly, ex- stupid example. If if he walked in and we had a shot, you know, let's just say she's bent over or something, and then we cut to him and he's like, eh, you know, in two shots, you'd understand that for him, he's full of hormones and he's just physically attracted to her. I'm not saying that's a classy way to tell this story. I'm just saying suddenly we have a reason for... Yeah. What's but between them? No... If he handed her a book and she said, oh, I love this book, then we understand they think there's a meeting of the mind. You know, there's any number of things that could be the basis for why they love each other, for what it is they see each other. But we don't know. We just know that they're in love. We know that he's obsessed with her for some reason and has been since he was a little boy, which right. is super weird. And we know that she does seem put off by him at first, but right. eventually, you know, she just caves. Somehow, but you're not. You don't know why she caved. But there's no reason given except that he, except his persistence. Is that what Lucas thinks was, you know, what attracted Leia to Han? Like, I don't understand. Well, and again, you could tell the story of two terribly immature people. He's petulant and obsessed with her in a really creepy, codependent, terrible way. She's like the one good thing that he's he's kind of latched onto as a little kid and he's just like lost his mother. He's psychologically imprinted on her in a really unhealthy way. We as audience members understand it's unhealthy. She should not give into it. It's not love. It's just narcissistic. It's gross. Nasty psychosis. And, you know, which we've all seen kids, high schoolers and adults that go down this path. It's relatable. And yep. she shouldn't give in to it, but she finds it flattering or she mm-hmm. has her own demon. You know, there's any number of reasons why she might give in to something nasty like that. And then we understand that it's a terrible decision and they shouldn't have done it. They keep telling us in the movie, oh, this is a bad idea. But we're never sure whether we're supposed to feel like it's a bad idea or not. We don't know. Are the Jedi oppressive? Should we our sympathies be with Anakin? Is Anakin 
a brat and our sympathies should be with the Jedi. We don't really have enough information yeah, or clear enough information yeah, to make those choices. We're told that Obi-Wan's really oppressive towards him. We don't actually get to see this. We're told that he feels like Obi-Wan's really stuffy. But then Obi-Wan is the one that for some reason jumps out the window and grabs onto the thing. You'd think that that would be the no Anakin don't moment. Yeah. But instead, Obi-Wan is supposed to be this swashbuckling Indiana Jones kind of a character. Like, you can tell Lucas... Yeah, he's the one that is down in the seedy bar. Right. And so are we supposed to read Obi-Wan as the stifling mentor, or are we supposed to read him as the cool, you know, awesome Indiana Jones swashbuckling guy? I guess a little bit of both, but those are two very different types. You have to, Maybe they can both exist in one person, but you have to do the work of synthesizing it somehow, like... Yeah, and saying who he is, that elevator scene is such a is such a failure. <laughs> yeah, that uh, remember when we we fell into the Gundar pit and I saved you, Master. Let's try and establish their relationship with a couple lines of them talking about how they regard each other instead of you know show don't tell show us this yeah. don't don't make us plus it's just a it's like a comedy shot nine times out of ten when you see a straight on people standing in an elevator like that style of shot they're both facing forward yeah there's going to be like an awkward silence and then someone's going to start doing gonna be a joke, something yeah. funny like it's it's this really awkward the language of cinema tells us that this is supposed to be an awkward silly thing but yeah it's the it, when does it happen in the movie what's the are they like it's what it's our introduction to adult anagan it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah but like, they're, they're going, they going to see padme okay i think Palpatine that's is right, saying, why don't you right. put them, why don't you put her, why don't you put Anakin and Obi-Wan in charge? And yeah. then we cut to that. And then our first, our introduction to our heroes, them standing in a elevator, straight on, proscenium style shot. Everything about it says awkward, says comedy, mm-hmm. says deflating expectations, says not heroic, says mm-hmm. these are just a couple of goofballs. You know, you can imagine like, the gardens, guardians of the galaxy or like marvel heroes i don't i can't think of a specific moment but you'll have these moments where suddenly our heroes find themselves in an elevator or waiting for something yeah what'll be happening is they'll be like there's not a specific scene like this but the, the right. setup would be they've just you know fought their way into the tower right now they have to get up to the top floor to fight the boss and so they get in the elevator and just sort of Right, and probably looking at their watches. We're cutting to some <laughs> people do, you know, the other got heroes doing kung fu and explosion. And then we cut back. Yeah, to, and it, and he's like scaling up the right the side of the building, mm-hmm. and you know, and back in, and they're the, just, the music is playing exactly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that. They shot. both reach the top at the same time, and yeah. they come out and start fighting again. You know, which if you want to again be opaque clearly, if you're trying to say. Audience, you expected that these guys would be heroes, but I'm going to introduce them as two awkward dudes. I don't know why that would be the story you want to tell, but that's a story you could tell, but you have to be intentional about it. Yeah. If you want to tell the story of these guys as swashbuckling comrades in arms, Anakin's the impetuous young learner and Obi-Wan's the master that's just trying to rein him in, then for goodness sake, start with an action scene. Start with them. You could actually set up everything me and Jake complained about. You could set up the separatists the loyalists, what's going on, where our allegiances should lie, who's good, who's bad, who Anakin is, who Obi-Wan is, by just having them solving some crisis somewhere. Like I assume they do a million times in Clone Wars. Yep, all and, the time. And so... I mean, this, the pattern in, in Clone Wars, sometimes Obi-Wan's awesome, but really what they set up over and over and over again, actually, is the Jedi are they're constantly being pressed into compromises, but they try to be Zen about it. And Anakin's always the guy who sort of like is the clear thinking person. The reason he's clear thinking is he's simply driven by one principle, which is you never leave anybody behind. Right. You don't accept defeat. You don't accept the loss of lives and you're willing to risk everything in order to save the people that you love or the people that are on your team or whatever it is. That's it. That's what always sort of cuts through. And Anakin will come up with the plan. He'll do something insane. He'll do something risky. He'll find a way to pull it off. Sometimes he'll get in trouble and Obi-Wan will have to bail him out. But for the most part, it's Anakin saves the day because Anakin simply will not lose. And he will not allow some dumb Zen principles to get in the way of what's clearly the right thing to do. Yeah. And that's well-trod action hero territory. But yeah, it, it's, it's for just, a reason. It's it makes really sense. classic. 
American almost anti-hero kind of right. stuff, right? Like it's just a John Wayne. Yeah, John Wayne's the guy, you know, while the bureaucrats and the dumb fuddy-duddies are arguing over what to do, John Wayne just rides in and takes care of things and sets it right and Yeah, that's that that is the American hero really in a nutshell. That is the 20th century template for all two-fisted red-blooded American heroes. Yeah, and then what you do in the course of of that story is you get Anakin more and more fed up with these compromises that the Jedi Council are making, and you push him more and more in the direction of being utilitarian. Right. And the next thing you know, he's going to just kill somebody to save the day because it's the... But we're going to have seen, and as an audience, we're going to sympathize with the fact that his utilitarianism worked and worked and worked and worked and worked until it suddenly didn't and drove him into a really dark place but yeah we're gonna be there with him like oh of course you shouldn't leave them by of course you should disobey of course you yeah there's a way to very intentionally use our emotions and what we understand about movies and about characters and about you know by the end of clone wars this has played out so many times that there's a reason for anakin to be upset that he's not a master on the council right he saved everybody in that room and his principles have won out and been proven right over and over and over again. He saved everybody in that room. That council has betrayed him on multiple levels in multiple ways, time after time after time, and betrayed the people that he's loved and cared about. And he's come to a place where he's done some pretty dark things mm-hmm. already because he's felt like that's the only recourse left to him. So he's made his own compromises in the process. Right, And so... It becomes this complex thing, but it makes a lot of emotional sense. Yeah, and that's a great story, you know, of how a corrupt system produces a wicked man, basically. I mean, that's a that's a really interesting thing to contemplate. Who's at fault there and why and how and how we could have prevented Anakin's downfall Yep. and who needs to feel bad about it and who can wash their hands. Up. Th- those are all really interesting questions if you're telling the story of someone going bad and George Lucas just manages to not answer or even seem like he's asking any of them. Yep. And I assume in his head they are answered. Like I th- I think he knows how what he thinks of the Jedi Council. He knows what he thinks of Anakin. It's just he didn't take it just feels like a even not even a first draft. It just no, feels like well, some it notes. Just feels, it is is confusing. It's like well, I think I'm supposed to believe that the Jedi Council is awesome, but they look really stupid. Right. There's all this cognitive dissonance of what am I supposed to believe and why? I know I like Jedi. Like I've watched four movies now that have told me Jedi are awesome. And are you, if you're going to tell me they're not, that's great. But you have, to, you have to... Actually, you have to actually tell me that they're not. Right. Because what I'm pretty tempted to believe and what I think most people and what I think is actually true of the movies is actually they're, they are supposed to be awesome. Yeah, just that George BS Lucas Buddhist. didn't know how to make them awesome. Right. And so, yeah, it's just mishmash and they look stupid. It's like he's opaque almost defiantly. I noticed this time so much of the dialogue is opaque. Uh, Anakin, you're a Jedi. That's a commitment not easily broken. How about an unbreakable vow? (laughs) 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 You know, like even the language is so colorless. Almost as a rule, it's like Lucas thinks that wise Buddhist mentor characters have to talk in this kind of vague... um, Double speak. Double speak. Using concept words, not using... Hard nouns and verbs and concrete image-based language like someone who communicates effectively does. I mean, what is a commitment that's not easily broken? You know, I committed to pick up eggs from the store, and that's not easily broken because Meredith will be mad at me. (laughs) 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 Did you like the... And yet in that same thing, we've got Count Dooku, who is was a member of the Jedi Order, but no longer is. Yeah, is he, like, it's unclear. Uh, Yeah, obviously, by the end of the movie, I guess we're just supposed to think he's bad. But are you supposed to, at a certain point, think maybe he's good? Because if so... My only point was, it's, you know, that's a commitment that's not easily broken. But we've got this counterexample. Yeah, well, the the other line like that is, um, he's a Jedi, so we assume he couldn't murder anyone. Yeah, that whole, like... (laughs) (laughs) The, he, Jedi, the Jedi's do some some dumb things in this movie. It's not in his nature. Uh, yeah, yeah. He was he was a Jedi. It's sure not about in that? his nature. <laughs> yeah. The other thing that I just think is so where the you the, one of the dumbest things in movies is when characters are much dumber than the audience. 
And when yeah. when Obi Wan spends like three scenes trying to figure out where the planet is, and then the younglings like maybe it was deleted from the archives, yeah. <laughs> and Yoda's like the wisdom of a child. Yeah, it's just so. The audience has all figured it out way ahead of, of it, it would be like, and plus the whole conceit is boring. It's like in episode four, if we'd spent three scenes with them decrypting the Death Star files so we could figure out what the fatal flaw in the Death Star, like, let's yeah. see the characters go to the library and <laughs> talk to the library. We literally have a scene where Obi-Wan talks to a librarian. Yeah. And that librarian <laughs> is in the Clone Wars and she's awesome. Well, there you go. <laughs> Yay, Filoni. He even redeemed the librarian. <laughs> The uh, yeah, if there's a character like that that makes it in somehow or another, they end up being redeemed. Like their presence, it feels feels like oh, I know that person when they when they're on screen, and it feels like it feels like you're getting cameos of right. of these people that actually you know and love, not like you just have this worthless scene tucked in here. <laughs> it feels like oh wait, hey, look, hey, look, they put in this cameo scene of this person that I you know I know this person, I know that person. I know, yeah. <laughs> what about Dex's diner? Does that does Dex? No, get, okay. I don't remember I that don't, guy. He'd anywhere. be pretty hard to redeem. That yeah, was... I don't remember that guy from anything. Maybe he is in there, but even if he is in there, it's more like a reverse cameo kind of thing where he never stuck. It, it's not like that guy's somebody that I know. Right. Well, good. Good for him. But yeah. Uh, good for him. Um. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the other really great moment where Obi Obi Wan shows his awesome intuitive powers mm. is finally at the very end of Revenge of the Sith. He looks at Padme and says, "And against the father, isn't he?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Obi Wan's. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> what now, am I? But again, right in that movie. In the context of only the prequels, it's just like, come on, dude. Yeah, please. The Jedi are so wise and insightful. But actually, in the context, it's re when you recontextualize it in Clone Wars, pretty sure Obi Wan's known for a long time, and he's just now actually letting Padme know that he knows. He's just yeah, which is pretty boss actually. Yeah, but. But you have to you have to just accept that that's what it is. Right. <laughs> you have to you, you basically have to retcon you have to just retcon the whole thing. You have to retcon all the stupidity. But it's a marvel to me the way that they actually the degree to which they were able to pull that off. Well, they're oh. even in Attack of the Clones to a degree where you have scenes like what is her name? The librarian. It's Madam something or other. I'm going to look it up. Jocasta. Jocasta. I wanted to say, though, the, the other moment of Obi-Wan as chairman of the awareness committee is when, and I suppose Lucas just thinks little kids need to be able to follow these movies, so he puts these moments in, but the assassin gets hit with a dart and dies, and then Obi-Wan says, hmm, toxic dart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that what it was? <laughs> we get it. <laughs> I will say that speeder chase through the city I actually thought was pretty cool. Yeah. I think that might be the high high point of the movie for me. It was it actually held up better than I expected it to be. The special effects, the city, everything was cooler than I remembered it was. I liked certain aspects of the Battle of Geonosis just because it reminded me of a cooler battle scene in <laughs> Clone Wars. <laughs> that they 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 mirror some shots. Right. It's like, oh wow, that looks just like the scene from Clone Wars. That's great. <laughs> they <laughs> well, the thing about Clone Wars, I, I haven't watched that much of it, but even just what I have watched, the action's really dynamic. These movies, a lot of the times, it looks like somebody handed old man Sam Jackson a purple plastic lightsaber and said, "Wave, Wave it, it around. around," and then are the special effects guys will fill it in. And I don't blame Sam Jackson for doing what he was told, but you know, it's like, why would Django Fett? fall for that he just kind of hobbled up to him and cut Locked off his, his head, head. like yeah. he didn't do some fancy move or anything like that <sighs> well that's the first act of the movie then we get into all the, the the worst act of any star wars but we could argue about whether this or last jedi is the worst star wars movie but i think we'd probably agree that the the worst act of any star wars movie is the it, middle act, act two of, yeah it's so bad it's so painful yeah it's really bad petulant love drama well and once again i thought He's actually playing a pretty good obsessive little creep. The movie just needs to st stop splitting the difference between that. Lean into it. Like, I don't necessarily think this is the best way to tell the story, but what they came closest to and what they probably could have tweaked this into pretty easily is obsessive little creep and her just being a tease. 
There's a there's that ridiculous yeah. scene where and then get a little and then make it feel that much more gross and Stockholm syndrome by the time it's done and then boom they're married and now they're stuck and you don't even know who's Stockholming who because who? Exactly. he he kind of imprinted on her when he was nine and in this terrible position and then and now she's kind of there's that ridiculous scene where she's she says you know I'm not going to encourage your love Annie and then it cuts to them in front of a fireplace and she's wearing like this bdsm outfit it's like (laughs) good job not encouraging (laughs) any romance lady yeah we're just gonna sit here in the dark in front of a fire while i'm dressed like this yeah and one of the short short of the java's palace uh, leia slave outfit one of the most seductive outfits that anybody's ever worn in a star wars movie like what are you thinking yeah and there again if you wanted to make it a story about mixed i know this is just my one point today but if you wanted to make it a story about a woman sending mixed signals great Women do that all the time. They they tell you they don't want to romance you, and then they dress in that outfit in front of a fire. That that's a thing that happens in all kinds of romances. And- it's one of the ma- one of the amazing things about these movies is that actually Padme feels like she has no agency over any of her wardrobe choices. Yeah, actually, somebody just <laughs> ran in and changed. It. There's that Mickey Mouse outfit that she wears in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I've heard. Yeah. There's, it's hard not to feel a little bit of dirty old man Lucas in a couple of her outfits, especially with that dumb fan service uh, rip off um, uh, ab exposing thing. Yeah, at the thing end, right? when they're all tied up. Yeah, that just feels so. Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't feel like dirty old man Lucas. It just feels like here's something for you, thirteen year old boys. We we don't need that. You know what scene I actually did like a little bit better? At least the first half of it was the scene where they were rolling around in the grass. They were smiling and. She was talking about another dude that she like her first kiss or whatever it was. And she said he was cute. He had black curly hair. It was the closest point where the movie actually came to feeling like we had two characters that had some romantic chemistry and were just chatting about something mm-hmm. outside of themselves. That's you could kind of see why maybe they'd enjoy each other's company in that scene. Yeah. But and then he had to ride the giant bad CGI tick and fall off and pretend to be hurt or dead and right and she's still not loving him but she'll roll around in the grass with him mm-hmm. so there again if the story you want to tell is the story of a woman sending mixed signals to a creep then you can tell that story but you have to know that's the story you just don't you don't know no not only does she not have any agency over her wardrobe she has no agency over her you just don't know who she is like yeah. who is this woman what's interesting about her who what does she what does she want? What does she represent? She's just a career politician, I guess, who she she makes some references to like boarding school. It sounds like she was just trained to be a politician. A politician, and that's what she is. But like what's her in her life? What's what's going on? And I guess people might say, well, Star Wars isn't about that kind of thing, but you basically know who like we could say at least Princess Leia is brash and assertive and we could say five or six character traits that we know about yeah, Princess Leia. and then when we get to see Bail Organa, we see enough of him to say, oh, that's where she gets it from. Right, yeah. You know, he's sort of this like dashing man of action sort of yeah, I'd love to see politician. a movie about, he, he seems like a really cool character that's just stuck yeah. on the periphery of. Yeah, but it just totally feels like, yeah, of course it makes sense that he would, that this is what Leia's dad would be like. That's what she's like. Yeah. Politicians and diplomats, but also people of action. <sighs> Well, uh, there's that middle <laughs> act, and then the last sand. Act. I hate it. Yeah, he hates sand. Actually, my favorite bad speech from the moment I met you. Not a day has gone by that I haven't thought about you. I'm haunted by the kiss that you never should have given me. My heart is beating, hoping that that kiss will not become a scar. You are in my very soul. Oh my god, tormenting me, tormenting me. Now, Jake, what are you gonna do if a guy uh, says the, says that speech to one of your daughters? Do you think that he'd be a good suitor or a I am going to punch him in the face and keep him as far away from my daughters as possible. Because that would be a really creepy, manipulative... That would be a very creepy, (laughs) manipulative, gross, Gross. disgusting... I would be really... You know what I I would actually do is I'd feel like one of two things. Either this man's no threat to my daughter or I am a terrible father if this man can get anything. And if this man, if this pathetic piece of crap can get himself inside my daughter's heart, then I have failed her right. miserably as a father. You, 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 you might as well I can't lay conce- down. And you, you, you deserve it, I basically. quit. I deserve it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just can't see my daughters coming to, I mean, I hope and pray, but I, they, they, you, I really they, they, can't see my daughters coming to a day 
where they're actually taken in by this. By God's grace, they would have enough self-awareness, self-reliance, yeah, self-respect. self-respect, just because some creep who has nothing in common with them and no real character traits besides... I, I mean, I, I hope that they would at least be attracted to a man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't really know what... We, we kind of get... Whiny, ultra, emo, sad boy who is going to, what, kill himself? If he doesn't, like... Yeah. He's tortured by... The memory of her, like, what the yeah, heck? That's so effeminate. I don't know why. And we're never told why Padme. We sort of get that he's just hormone. A, he's hormonal. B, he is obsessed with her from childhood. We have no idea why she reciprocates. No, we never get a clue. She's played as a very healthy, sensible, intelligent young Person, woman. yeah. Who should not fall for that kind of exactly. garbage at all. There's an interesting story you could tell. The story of the creeper who worms his way into the heart of the reasonable, sensitive, intelligent young woman. Some people, I'm sure, will say, well, we don't want Star Wars to be that. But maybe that's why you don't go back and tell Anakin's story, actually. Because if you don't want to actually deal with the heart of darkness, you know, inherent in the Star Wars myth, (laughs) then don't deal with it. You know, there's one simple, if you just want to keep things clean, then keep them clean and stick with... Or here's an idea. Hire a mature screenwriter that understands how to tell a mature love story Mm -hmm. from the very beginning and understands how to do it in broad strokes for kids which is tricky but takes some level of maturity and sophistication and clearly lucas didn't have it so he should have passed yeah i mean that's the story that i want that's the story that we really want is the one that he tried to tell and failed to tell yeah it's such an interesting story that's why i keep pitching alternate versions i'm like any one of them could be a really interesting story of of a potential Anakin, but it's almost like he had to work to get us the bad one. But whatever, I don't know. George Lucas is a weird guy. He seems completely uninterested in the morality of clones. Like he's going to introduce that whole topic, and we're not sure how we're supposed to feel about it. I guess they are just disposable <laughs> units that Yoda can throw at a problem. I understand again, Filoni's going to fix that problem. Yeah. He fixes it so well that you feel bad when Yoda decapitates a couple of them. Mm-hmm. You know, when in Sith, or, in Sith, in Order sixty six is. I'm sorry, guys. I just watched Revenge of the Sith last night. Right, it's on my brain. But yeah, you feel bad because you actually get to know these clones. You get to know them as individuals. You know who Cody is. Mm-hmm. You know, it means something when he's got a name. I watched Sith last night with my kids and. Amanda watched a little, she doesn't always watch this stuff with mm-hmm. us, but she watched a little bit of it and she laughed that he had a name right. and his name was Cody. Like she just thought that was kind of silly. And the kids were like, oh, you know, Cody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Is Cody the one that gets decapitated or? No, Cody's the one that shoots Obi-Wan. Oh, yeah. So Cody is, so the way that it works by the time that this is all sorted out in Clone Wars is that a Jedi is put in charge of a troop of clones and he has a captain. Mm -hmm. So it's General Kenobi, General Skywalker. Right. They will have, they'll be the general and then they'll have a captain. Mm -hmm. And then they'll have, you know, their troops or the unit under them. And so Obi-Wan had his own troop and his captain was Cody and Anakin had his own troop and his captain was Rex. Mm -hmm. They've retconned Captain Rex into Return of the Jedi which is pretty fun. He's there on Endor. Um, as a good guy or a bad guy? As a good guy. That's nice. Yeah, he's there. It's fun how they did it. They just aged him up to look like one of the actors that was an extra. Mm-hmm. That's fun. But there with Han and Leia. <sighs> well, I could just keep naming moment after moment where Lucas was opaque, opaquely. There's the scene where Anakin comes into Palpatine's office and Palpatine is saying like, You've grown into a great Jedi thanks to such and such and Palpatine's, or, or, and then Anakin says, thanks to your guidance more than my patience or something like that. And it's like, what guidance? Yeah. How about instead of talking about that scene, let's see the scene where Palpatine's getting his hooks in Anakin. We're, we're, we're going to yeah. refer to that instead of seeing that? Like, how lazy can you get? It's lots of lazy. Like, lots of telling. All the things that we want to see, Anakin and Obi-Wan in action. Palpatine getting his hooks in. But the, the Sith is the best movie, arguably, because Lucas just couldn't avoid showing us some of that stuff. Yeah. Like, he had to. He, he ran out of things to refer to and throat clearing, so he had to have something to say about, like, okay, this is how these things went down. But, yep. man, he seems profoundly uninterested in just 
writing those scenes. It's weird. I don't know. Anything you want to say about Act 3? You got that Anakin goes and rescues his mother for some reason. Now, I don't know. the sand people. I don't know why he wouldn't do this earlier. I don't know why this impetuous young man who's passionate let he's his mother. He's not had the freedom to. That's the best way to. This is just the first time he's been let off the leash enough. Yeah, he's first time he's been away from Obi-Wan, really. Right. He's still a Padawan. He's still attached to Obi-Wan. Then he gets this separate side detail. Mm-hmm. And he's got the freedom to to do it. And Padme's going to enable it. That's a nice story, Beat. I wish I didn't have to ask that question, though. I'm glad you had the answer. And I think that is the answer that's inherent in the material. But it really should be clear. Like, if this is the first time that he's given freedom and he immediately goes off the reservation, that yeah. should be a major... It should feel like a really major thing. Thing, right? yeah. Not just like a, I had a nightmare. Padme, you want to go to another planet? I can't. I have to stay with you. Well, that's cool because I'm going to Tatooine. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have the ultimate scene, the one that me and all my high school friends quoted and made fun of over and over the sand scene has become like the popular whipping boy for this movie but the thing that i remember making the most fun of back in the day was i killed them i killed killed them all they're dead and i slaughtered them like Like animals animals. they're animals and i slaughtered them like yeah Yeah. it's just and there again that scene is so first drafty she says you're not all powerful annie and he says well i should be i should be yeah and then he gives his i killed them speech and he says be angry is to be human. Who is this woman? Is yeah. she supporting? Is she happy with him? Is she comforting? Is she yeah. scared? And not just the men, the women and the children. Right. She should either be horrified, like I'm never going to talk to you again, or these people really are animals and like, okay, you slaughtered a in dog which, kennel. In which and, case she should say that. Right. Like, It's not good that you slaughtered a dog kennel, Annie, but I get it. You were mad. Or you slaughtered a bunch of human humanoid creatures with souls and please get away from me you psychotic monster or just because your mom was killed and all that doesn't well yeah there's some implicit things there yes just but if he really did just rampage and kill a bunch of women and children that's a that's a pretty big deal let's at least act like it's a big deal even if she wants to forgive it let's let's at least if you're going to bring that up you need to deal with it you can't just wave your wave your wave it away and then we get a bunch of action at the end. Gladiator is a popular movie of the time. And so we get a gladiator, gladiator scene. scene. And Titanic's a popular movie. Where what it really feels like is George Lucas had some weird story that he wanted to tell and some technological advancements that he wanted to make. And he had the things that interested him, but what didn't interest him was the plot. So he took a couple of things that were popular at the time, smushed them together, thought that he could just overlay some Star Wars mythology onto it and it would all work. But... Which maybe he could have, but you gotta write a script. Gotta write a script. Around the survivors of perimeter create. <laughs> we do get one of my favorite and most <laughs> off quoted Star Wars <laughs> lines around the survivors of perimeter create. <laughs> and then we get the John Williams dark side theme. We get I guess we gotta talk very quickly about Yoda. Yoda fight. Yoda fights, yeah. That's fun. That was biggest draw to the theaters. If I saw it in theaters, it was so I could see that. I saw it twice and the second time I I knew I was sitting through a lot of boredom and stupid stuff, but it was to get to get to that ending, which I thought was cool at the time. Not a, not ashamed to admit it. Didn't really hold up. I still like the idea of Yoda fighting. I really like his fight with Sidious and Sith quite a bit, but that, that really does feel like two masters going at it, which I've always enjoyed in these prequels. But this fight is a little hadn't quite worked out the kinks of Yoda not just being a green rubber ball that's the height difference. Yeah. is difficult. I think they did a much better job with... Um, well, the other thing is that making... When you've got uh, an unclothed Christopher Lee, right? there's only so much that you can do with him as opposed to a Sidious that you can put in a hood and really get away with either using a stuntman or CGIing it because you've got more of an amorphous kind of... Right, precisely. Plus, Sidious is just such a gleefully evil character. He's the kind of guy that feels like he likes to kick dogs and stuff. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the thing is like, what's fun about Sidious is you you never actually know if he's ever in trouble or not. Yeah, it, you never know if he's just toying with Yoda or not. You yeah, never know if he's toying with Mace Windu or not. He's getting a big kick out he's, of it. He loves it. <laughs> yeah. He loves every moment of it. <laughs> he's daring them to kill him. Like, I think he has... really is just the most likable character in these series because <laughs> you, you got to love a man who enjoys his job. <laughs> and Palpatine just like, 
he gets such a kick out of being evil and it, it's 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 really adorable actually he's <laughs> like especially one in the third one once he's he's just like enjoying himself gleeful is the right word yes he is gleeful but he's the but you can you feel like he's the kind of guy that would he's not so dignified that like christopher lee is dignity personified to have him fighting with a little green bouncing muppet character is kind of weird sidious is the kind of guy that he wouldn't mind you know like i said he'll kick a dog he he just yeah. gets a big kick out of yeah. he, he, sidious probably enjoys the fact that it's so ridiculous that he's fighting this, yeah. this little green muppet yeah and, and that he's basically trouncing him and he never really feels in trouble so yeah even even when you know you have to give yoda some moments mm-hmm. right and so to give yoda a moment you have to show a little bit of surprise on palpatine's face right. like I can't believe that you were able to counter that. Right. But if you think about the moments that are given to Yoda and even the little looks of surprise on Palpatine's face, he's not really all that rattled. He's like, even as he's like hanging on to the thing, he's laughing and cackling. He he's, he raises up one, he's hovering on one and throwing like three or four at once. Yoda catches one and has to slowly spin it and throw it back and then he's surprised. You know? Yeah, no, his expression though isn't the an expression of like chagrin or It's or like, horror. yay, I get to, you know, this is going to be even more fun. Yeah, and even when he's at his most peeved, it's like my grandma caught me getting into the cookie jar or something. He's just kind of like, aw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know? you know, and if you think about it, this man has been building up to this moment his entire life right and he's been determined that when he finally pulls the trigger and uncloaks himself he's gonna savor every last moment right like (laughs) he's gonna enjoy this he's he wants yoda to feel hey idiot i have masterminded your doom and the doom of the entire jedi order right underneath your nose and i've used you to do it right And you can't beat me. Right. Yeah, he's, he's Sidious has been like playing out scenarios in the shower. Exactly. He's been dreaming of this moment for ages. Right. And it feels like it really lives up to everything that he he wanted to. Well, I don't know that there's it, it, what it feels like is that he was determined that it was going to live up to it no matter how it disappointed him. Right. Yeah, yeah. Probably once it was over, he was like, "Oh, well, was that really is that really what I've been working towards this whole time now what am i gonna do <laughs> but in the moment I, I was determined to pretend like it was everything <laughs> yep, to yep. enjoy it as if it were yep <laughs> well is there anything else we want to say about this movie it's pretty bad no it's a terrible movie it's yeah. the worst of the star wars movies yeah, it's bad M- mama don't let your daughter grow up to be seduced by some loser like anakin grow up Skywalker. to be subduced like anakin yeah exactly <sighs> Well, I'm sure we'll have some more thoughts when we come back for Revenge of the Sith, and then we will be back into the non-prequels, and hopefully we'll get this all tied up in time for the new movie. Senate Movies, produced by me, executive produced by Nathan and Jake. Until next time. I hate Sam.